Hey everyone, this is Craig, and I wanted to share with you some extremely exciting news. Recently, the Front Row Movie Reviews has partnered with the Lincoln Film Festival in Lincoln, Illinois, to bring you some exclusive content and also cover the event for you wall to wall. Now, this film festival is going to be taking place November 3rd through the 5th at the Lincoln Grand 8 Movie Theater. It is one of the best movie theaters I've ever been to, independently run and top-notch, high-quality, uh, recently renovated from the original movie theater right in downtown Lincoln. I strongly encourage you to come, especially because I am so excited, uh, particularly being the Disney guy on the podcast, about what they're bringing to this film festival. In particular, they are bringing a new digitally remastered version of the 1995 cult classic, A Goofy Movie. Now, not only that, but they're also bringing in Kevin Lima, the director of the film. He's going to be doing a Q&A before the screening, and uh, he'll also be available to sign autographs. Not only are they bringing in Kevin Lima, no, no, they're also bringing in his wife, Brenda Chapman. And what she directed, you ask? Well, just a couple films like The Prince of Egypt for the Walt Disney Studios and a little film called Brave. Yes, that's right. She directed Brave for Disney Pixar. Now, Kevin's no slouch either. In addition to a goofy movie, he's also directed the wonderful film Enchanted as well for the Walt Disney Company. I can't tell you how excited I am about being able to cover this event for you, and I hope that you can come along with us. The whole front row crew plans on being there on November 4th, basically the whole Saturday. So come in see the screenings with us, experience this brand new film festival, and help it grow into something fantastic in the general Springfield area. Support local theaters, support local owners, and support this event. For more information, go to www.lincolnfilmfestival.com, and we will be looking for you there, and you'll know we'll be in the front row. There in podcast land. This is the Front Row Movie Reviews podcast, the podcast for people who actually like movies. And this is, again, finally another episode of our Beyond the Mouse, the Disney-themed podcast. We we were absent in September. We were going to talk all about Run Disney with my friend Scott Rothenberg and uh, completely fell through. So I my apologies for that. But I have a, a super exciting crew to talk to you uh, with you about all things Halloween and Disney uh, with me this evening. First of all, my lovely wife, Anna McFarland. Hey. I thought you were going to call me lovely. <laughs> Second of all, my <laughs> lovely friend, Brandon Davis. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Brandon and I, uh, this is our second one in a row. I know. I joked last night. We're going from one masterpiece to another. <laughs> we talked Hitchcock's rear window, and now we're talking the Goots Tower of Terror. So, uh, pretty incredible jump there. Uh, and then, of course, uh, my also lovely brother, Scott McFarland, the host of uh, Flashbacks and Zonisodes. Well, Brandon hosts Zonisodes as well. It's got there. Yes, I'm here. I already said I was lovely. I'm just moving on. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, actually, Scott and Anna haven't been on a podcast yet together. We've been talking she about it. She sounds this. really excited about it, too. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get right into mm. some Disney-related news. Um, we try not to get too much into the Marvel and Star Wars properties on this show because we could talk for days. They can almost have their own shows. I, I really don't know why they don't at this point. But um, we are since we're the first podcast to have a chance to talk about the Star Wars Last Jedi trailer, I thought that we would just go around and quickly say if we had any additional thoughts on it. Uh, Scott put up a video immediately following. I mean, within seconds. Of I was viewer following. number 26,000 something. Yeah, and now it's been viewed millions and millions and millions of times. So very <laughs> impressive, Scott. Um, but do you, like we'll start with you. Do you have any reactions? It's been about a week and a half now or, or just over a week. I appreciate a trailer that doesn't tell me what the hell's going on. And I mean that really because movie trailers too often – tell me the entire movie before I even walk into the movie. So the fact that I have no freaking clue what's going on, I'm okay with. Um, yeah, and Ryan Luke, Johnson actually told uh, people initially, he said, don't watch the trailers. Well, yeah. he, he says it's, he says he was trying to be coy. He was saying, you know, if you don't want the story ever spoiled for you, then you just shouldn't ever watch the trailers. Uh, I don't know if it was Disney that got to him or um, his own. Maybe he actually watched the trailer because many of the times the directors don't have final cut on these trailers. Uh, so it, it might have been that he finally watched it, got to see it, and saw that it wasn't too spoilery. But he did say, I was kidding, JK, go out there and watch it a million times. Disney came to him and said, did you see what we did to the other director who spoke out? <laughs> Our directors. Yeah, directors. yeah, Ron Howard took over for them. It's not Actually, too late. Now the other three directors, because well, Colin Trevorrow uh, also joins the illustrious list. That was um, conflicting ideas and story. Sure. <laughs> not sure. enough lens flare, so they got J.J. back. Sure. Brandon, you got any thoughts on the Last Jedi trailer? Well, Scott stole my thought because I hate trailers that show you the entire movie. And the fact that, well, as I mentioned before, was it two years? Two, I can't believe it's been two years almost on the Force Awakens podcast mm-hmm. we did. I am not a Star Wars aficionado. I'm an admirer, but I'm not, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, give you all the trivia back to back and everything. But I, um, I, I I love when I don't know what's going on when I go to a movie because that's part of the excitement for me when I go into a movie the first time. It's the intrigue and not knowing what's happening. And, um, you know, just, uh, you know, there's there were some things that looked like they could have been creative editing that might not exactly go the way that the trailer lets you think they're going to go. And I like it when they do things like that because then it just sort of takes you down a rabbit hole. You don't know where you're headed. Well, and I kind of hope it's like Force Awakens where uh, Force Awakens, basically, if you go back and watch those trailers that we all fell in love with, that's the first act of the movie. Like nothing, nothing is from later on later parts of the movie at all. They just took the first act and they said, here, we're going to throw this at you and make it seem like it's a full movie. Yeah, Absolutely. And you know, it was just it's, it was just interesting to finally see Mark Hamill talking, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and to know that he actually, hand. to know that he'll actually have some dialogue in this movie is very nice to know. <laughs> I will tell you what the hype for this movie is real. So uh, I logged on right away um, before even halftime and bought tickets. 
the next morning I checked out our screening in Springfield, the 940 spring uh, screening uh, was nearly sold out. So I know that that's the one IMAX screen and you can actually reserve your seats for that. But uh, I was pretty impressed with the how quickly everything went. So, Anna, I don't know that you have anything uh, to say about the trailer. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll just go ahead and, and move on from there. The, uh, one thing I would, I, the one thing I would say, just so we're not all sugarcoating this, I still don't like the fact that they're playing Carrie Fisher's death in the yeah. trailer. That annoys the shit out of me. It was, uh, it was, she was all over that trailer, that's for sure. Well, no, I'm okay with her being in the trailer. She's a pivotal part of the story, but the whole fact of playing the, is he going to blow her up, is he not, that's kind of tasteless, I believe. Yeah. It's going to be in the movie, but you don't have to the trailer. Right. So let's move on to our second story, which is actually from September. We, But again, I wanted to talk about it with this group of people. And Anna's actually going to read us the, the quick story here. Um, it's, it's right here. Show prep. It's great. No, thanks. Oh. I'm sorry. Disney's adding more firepower to its upcoming streaming service. Its Star Wars and Marvel Comics movies will be included in the service making it the only streaming service that with the movies on demand in the U.S. as part of their monthly subscription, so not Netflix. A price hasn't been announced yet, but the Disney streaming service is expected to debut in late 2019 after Disney's current deal with Netflix expires. Previously, Disney had announced the inclusion of just Disney and Pixar movies in Disney TV shows. Adding the Star Wars and Marvel movies could make this new service appealing to teenagers and adults, not just those familiar with young children. Uh, the Marvel movies included Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy franchises as well. So we're talking the Disney streaming service. Now, they, there was a bit of um, blowback when this was announced uh, back in the early part of September. It's probably a reason why they didn't announce it at D23 because they knew that this could get some negativity. Um, but being a Disney fan, I'll start this one and just say I am completely okay with them having an additional streaming service. We live in a world now where HBO, Showtime, Stars, um, CBS, all those have additional a la carte streaming options. And if they model this after what they already have uh, in the UK called Disney Life, Essentially, that allows them to, to stream just about any Disney property, period. No more uh, Disney Vault. Uh, it's, it's all out there. Now, if, if they don't do that and they, they still limit the releases that they're going to put on there, then that's, that's another story. But we don't quite know what they plan on doing yet. I just think that uh, if Disney wants to take their massive amount of properties and move it onto a streaming service, then that's okay. You can choose whether or not you want to purchase it. And I'm going to be one of the first in line to purchase it. Um, and if they do follow the UK model, which they haven't said they would, uh, but it's about $5 a month or the equivalent of $5 a month, uh, in the UK. So we're not talking potentially breaking the bank here either. Um, we're going to go ahead and start with Anna on this one. No, I think I echo what you think. I think it completely makes sense. Um, that's just how people watch movies now. So why wouldn't they do a streaming service instead of having them available hard copy as well? I just think it completely makes sense. Brandon. Well, you mentioned all those other examples and those are TV networks. I, I think if any other movie studio tried to do this, it would be a big flop, but since it's Disney, it'll run away with the bank. 
Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think you put the name Disney on anything and it's automatic money. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see how it does. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see if they somehow follow their vault pattern and only make things available streaming every seven years. Um, <laughs> we'll see, we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping with this, they really tap into their resources and their past. I hope we get to see old live action Disney movies from the sixties and seventies. I hope we get to see Disney channel shows from when I was a kid in the late eighties, early nineties, not just this Hannah Montana stuff. I want to see adventures in wonderland. I want to see Avonlea. I want to see all that stuff. So bears bouncing here everywhere. (laughs) I totally agree, Brandon. I totally so agree. hopefully they'll yeah, hopefully they'll dig into all of their past titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Scott. I want to get your initial thoughts on this, and then I have another question for the group. Yeah, um, as somebody who just had to pay for CBS All Access for our Star Trek review show, thanks CBS. I'm looking forward to having <laughs> to do another streaming service. But I agree with all of you guys. If it's a service that actually includes everything. Um, it's going to be well worth it. I mean, a lot of those movies we haven't seen since they were rerun on ABC and the Disney Channel a very, very long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and along with that, um, the Vault thing came out of the Eisner years in the 80s when VHS was a thing and they didn't want to uh, detract from actually being able to re-release stuff to theaters every few years like they used to. So the Vault is something that is w- way past its shelf life and it needs to be gone away with and they just need to release everything because it's really the only way that's going to entice me to do it. Um, because the adventure stuff and everything else, you can find those almost anywhere at this point, but the old stuff, that's what would bring yeah. me to it. I feel like they almost have to keep some stuff back though. So you still buy hard copies, but who really does anymore though? I mean, I agree with well, you like, in the fact I that they, they want, I mean, it's just, Blu-rays even go in the way of the dinosaur at this point. It's all going to be digital stream sooner or later. I don't know. Like I would for gifts for people or for children. Or they also, I, I'm, I'm still I'm still a hard copy person. Yeah. I stream too, but I like hard. Those, I like uh, actually those we're all trips with the portable DVD players and stuff like that. Um, now I guess you could download something onto like an iPad or a Kindle or whatever and, and do it that way. Cause Netflix mm-hmm. is now given that possibility. Um, we just got Apple TV and one of the apps that I put on there was the Disney app. And I'll tell you what, they give you a lot of content for, um, you know, just for having uh, a login for the, for the Disney channel. And you, you get all of the shows going back to, um, all of the DCOM movies, the Disney Channel original movies, you get all of that in that app. And that's just for having the, the cable channel. So I'm, I imagine that this is going to be a pretty robust uh, streaming service. My last question to you on this topic is um, a lot of people are saying this is pricing families out of the market. So you're basically going to force a family that has kids mm-hmm. to spend an extra $10 a month that they don't have um, because their kids are going to want to watch all the Disney movies. What is your response? Is there any ethical dilemma here? Does is there any um, kind of corporate greed going on uh, in that in that sense? Do you think that they ought to not charge this for for people that have families uh, and can't possibly afford it? Hmm. Seriously, what country do we live in? I mean, there. I mean, Disney's Disney's a business, not a babysitter. I'm, what did they say? I'm like. <laughs> 
yeah, yes, I would like everything for free because um, yeah. that'd be awesome. But then they don't have money to make new stuff. Um, it, the, the nice thing about the a la carte, and as much as I just complain about CBS making me do it and everyone else being making me do it, I don't have to. I choose. I pick and choose. And the other nice thing is as long as it remains a monthly service and they don't try to do like the annual pass or some crap like that, you can pick and choose one month. You may have Netflix one month. You may have Disney. It just depends mm-hmm. on what you're looking for. So it's still a hell of a lot cheaper than direct TV. And of course I'm the schmuck who still has direct TV and all the streaming services. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, and I agree. I, I think that you've got to make choices in your family budget and um, maybe you drop Netflix and pick up Disney. If you have a small family that, and that's all you're watching, then, then maybe that's the way that you go, you know, and, and maybe this does take a little bit of the market share from Netflix. I think that that's why they partnered with Netflix for a couple of years is so then that way they can learn exactly how to do the streaming service right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of what they did with their cruise ships a long time ago. They partnered with some company and they had the big red boat, which was a Disney cruise before there were Disney cruises. And then um, they ended up splitting off, making their own cruise line. And now that company that they started with, I don't remember the name because they don't exist anymore. So, um, <laughs> you know, I think that they're, they're smart when it comes to these types of acquisitions and property. Yeah. What it came down to is Netflix wasn't going to release any of their numbers, and Disney wanted to see if there was a market there. So they got into a contract, saw the numbers, whatever those numbers were, and said, holy crap, we're wasting a lot of money on a contract when we can do this ourselves. Yeah. What's interesting is that, and I'll get off this topic here in just a second, but on the electronic side, they went back the other way. They were making their own video games. Uh, Disney Infinity was very popular. I have a lot of little figurines in the basement. Um, But uh, then they decided that going with the the franchise route and just marketing and selling off their properties to EA sports or EA uh, entertainment or whatever the case may be, that that was going to make them more money and they wouldn't have to employ all of the video game developers and and things like that. So it's just interesting to see how this company, this behemoth of a company makes these decisions and, and how they, how they end up. I still miss my Disney infinity. So uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to a brand new story. I'm throwing this at these guys the last second here. Um, this past weekend, some Disney World resorts have started allowing your furry friends to stay with you. Um, they are allowing possibly up to two dogs per room in the Disney resorts. Um And what's interesting about this is this story came right after Hurricane Irma. And I want to talk to Scott about Hurricane Irma uh, because he was actually down there for that. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But uh, what's interesting about that is there were reports that during Hurricane Irma, Disney was allowing families to bring Mm -hmm. their dogs on property. A Um, ton of dogs. A lot of people in the local area who just decided, you know what, instead of waiting out the storm at home, we're going to go ahead and book a Disney room because we know that uh, the cast members are all going to be incredible while we're there and that we're going to be safe and more than likely that Disney wasn't going to lose power. So it, I wonder if because if that was almost a, a weird test for them that they had all these dogs on property, uh, animals on property, and then now they decided they're going to go ahead and release that. They saw maybe a need there. I don't know if it's... Um, 
you know, if that's causation or correlation or not. But, uh, Scott, what do you think about furry friends at Disney World? And also talk to us about your Hurricane Irma experience. Well, that was one of the things that we noticed um, staying at one of the resorts was there were a lot of dogs. Um, Some were actually labeled as service animals, but many of them were just somebody's pet. And we assumed the case was what you just mentioned, that Disney wasn't going to turn anyone away with the storm barreling down on everybody. We got in Saturday. Um, We actually flew in early to ensure we were going to miss the storm, and everyone said we were idiots. But you know what? I survived and I had fun. So bite me, Mike. Um, uh, but um, so when the storm came in on Sunday and through Monday, uh, we were on lockdown in the resort. But really, Disney was very good about it. I mean, we were really only on lockdown during the curfews at night and then maybe four or five hours when the storm was going through. But the rest of the time, the resorts were relatively open. And by Monday afternoon, the pools were open. And by Tuesday morning, the theme parks were open. But in terms of the animals, I was really surprised to see. I would, I, I think I counted in the lobby of our, and we were at the all-star um, music because we were booted out of our original resort because we had to go a day early. Um, but I probably counted, I would say six or seven dogs in the lobby at one given, one time, roughly. And then I also noticed there was, Several dogs were running around the theme park itself, too. Again, labeled as service animals, but from what I can tell, um, it's pretty easy to label your dog as a service animal anymore if you get the approval. So um, it didn't. It wasn't distracting. They were all usually little yippy dogs that were in somebody's purse. So, Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Anna, do you have any particular thoughts on dogs at the resorts? I do not like the idea at all. Um, I just – I don't think it – I don't know. I just don't think it's the place. I think if it's a service animal, I am more than okay with that because I absolutely want that to be the case. But if it's somebody's pet and you're bringing the pet along, I just don't, I just don't agree. Um, I could see maybe one of the hotels being an option to, I can see that if they're traveling and they want to go to Disney with the, with their pet and you can stay at one of the hotels, but I don't, I wouldn't like to see it at all of the resorts. I just don't think it, um, I don't know. It just doesn't appeal to me at all. Yeah, I, I I can see it kind of both sides of this. Uh, Brandon, I know that you're not necessarily a Walt Disney World connoisseur, as it were, but do you have any opinions on this particular study, on this particular story? Well, I was thinking for those of us that um, have certain allergic reactions to right. different types of animal hair, it wouldn't be the most pleasant thing in the world. But um, if you... If you, I guess, designated certain parts of a resort for uh, those those uh with pets or whatever i wouldn't mind that um and i imagine that's what they're doing because they are so good about allergies whether it's Mm -hmm. uh, food allergies or whatever the case may be and and trying to make sure that every guest is having the uh the best possible experience they're very good about that i mentioned that walt disney world um brought in pets during hurricane irma i do want to be an equal opportunity podcast and say that mm-hmm. universal also allowed for pets to come oh, to the good. resort as well so okay. um we'll go, go ahead and move into a couple of i just want to talk about some things in the parks uh first of which is that epcot recently in october october 1st actually celebrated its 35th birthday and um i don't really have necessarily a a need to go around the table about this just to say happy birthday Epcot. We love you. Uh, it's one of my favorite parks. It's one of those parks that I see a lot on the Disney groups and the boards and things like that, that if you have small children, you shouldn't go to Epcot. 
And I could not disagree with that more strongly. Uh, I think that Epcot provides such a good cultural experience, not just because they have the world showcase, but because they employ people mm-hmm. from those countries. And they also even have a kid stop every, every stop of the way. So absolutely love that love future world. I, I love spaceship earth. I'm glad that we're getting the updates. I'm glad that guardians of the galaxy are coming to Epcot. Uh, I'm glad about it all. And I can't wait to see where Epcot Epcot is at 70 years. So it's just, it's I, cool. Yeah. Brandon. No, I will, I will say when I, when I read that this is Epcot's anniversary, I just went on YouTube and looked at a few things and, uh, there is a TV special that celebrated the opening of Epcot in 1982 that was hosted by Danny Kay that you can find <laughs> on YouTube. It's fun to watch. That's excellent. And we watched a promotional video just the other day, and it's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the bones are there, and uh, the seas are there, and the land pavilions there, mm-hmm. uh, all of that. And it's just um, it's interesting uh, to see where it's gone in the 35 years. Scott, you're shaking your head. You don't like Epcot? I'm so disappointed in Epcot. I'm sorry. Uh, it was my favorite park. I, I, it's one of the few memories I have from the eighties when I attended the first time. Um, and the park is just one year older than me. So I was around probably when it was six or seven years old and it was my favorite park in the nineties. It was my favorite park. When I went for a robotics competition, we just hung on around Epcot cause that's where the competition was. But going through this time, I was so disappointed in how much Future World has just fallen apart. The the, the showcase is fine. It, it looks good. It's kept up. Um, we were there for wine, uh, food and wine festival. But when you walk through Future World, it's it's like an old – it's worse than a Six Flags in terms of upkeep. The buildings are in disrepair. The lo- Half of them are shut down. Horizons building has been shut down for 20 years. Um Half of the Imagination Pavilion is shut down. Uh, the body area has been shut down for years, ever since Body Wars was the ride was closed down, which was a fun ride, by the way. And yes, they're putting a Guardians ride in there, so I hope that revitalizes some things. But you can tell that for the past probably decade, no one at Disney in terms of the company has cared about Epcot at all. So the fact that they're celebrating an anniversary, it it's bittersweet for me because they haven't cared about that park in so long. As long as you can buy booze in the world showcase, that's where they want to put the money at. But future world just looks terrible. And the fact that it is roughly based on what Disney was trying to do in Florida to begin with. He didn't care about magic kingdom. He cared about Epcot. And the fact that that has been completely ignored and forgotten over the years is depressing. When I walked out of Epcot, the last day we were there, uh, I got pulled aside actually by a cast member and they were doing a survey and it was like a 40, 50 question survey I got to do. And I railed against Epcot so much. It wasn't even funny. The cast member just kept looking at me like, Really? And I started bitching about Bob Iger and everything else. I think they weren't expecting me to be the guy too big picked. <laughs> <laughs> you made their day, I'm sure. Uh, <sighs> to refute that a bit, I will say that there there's definitely areas of disrepair and that the showcase is the draw. I mean, that's why they put Frozen back there. That's why they're adding Ratatouille to France. Mm-hmm. But I also think that um, these things take time and Epcot has fallen into a bit of disrepair. But if you think about it, Basically, in the late 90s, 
you had MGM Studios opening, mm-hmm. and then that went into Animal Kingdom. And then really not that much later, maybe a decade later, New Fantasyland and the Magic Kingdom came about. And then uh, Avatar Land was announced for uh, Pandora. World of Avatar was announced for Animal Kingdom. And now we've got Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and Toy Story Land going into Hollywood Studios. So it makes sense now that Epcot is going to get its due here. Um, the, there's a lot of rumors out there as to what else is going to be changing in Epcot that was not announced at D23. They had so many announcements to make. I don't blame them if they kept some of those back mm-hmm. for like the Destination D event that happens in Orlando this upcoming year. It's, it's the off year of D23. It, they may look at Inside Out and the Imagination Pavilion. They may look at adding more into Future World. I, I like the idea of keeping... Future World and Tomorrowland, both as Walt would have envisioned it or those original Imagineers would have envisioned it, as opposed to constantly updating it to what the new future is. And I do agree with you, though, going through there, there's a lot that's in disrepair or just completely shut down. I'm not disagreeing with you at all there. I just think that... um, Maybe they should have worked on construction at the same time, but they didn't. They, they yeah. picked park. They kind of went in order of parks here, and I think that Epcot is is due its turn next. And don't get me wrong. When you walk through, I still call it MGM Studios, but when I walked through there, I was – I know Star Wars Land is coming. I know the grand whatever-the-heck square right by Muppets Theater is opening up here. In fact, I think it already opened it up. Open, yeah. It did open yeah, up. It, it, was, it was still under barricades when I was there. But that place is in shambles too. I mean, you're you, you're a multi-billion-dollar company. Put a couple million dollars in, and at least fill up the pool where the little boat is in the studios, or at least fix the the roof that's hanging off of Horizons. I mean, it doesn't take much. And as much as I spent on my trip down there, you can fix the roof. Yeah. Did you have any comments about Epcot? No, I mean, I uh, I tend to agree, but that's why they're doing all that stuff now. I think what they revealed in D23 is very telling, and they, they understand and that they're fixing up that and changing up the entrance to even by um, Spaceship Earth, they're going to redo that entryway. So right. I think they, they see it, too, and um, it's time, and I do like how they're keeping the original. I don't think you should alter the feel you can change the aesthetics without altering the feel and i think that that's what they're trying to do i'd be okay with them adding scenes to spaceship earth by the way but if they ever change the heart of that ride i that would be one that like i would be severely disappointed in yeah well it's probably due for an update just because siemens pulled out so right yeah they have to have an update i'm sorry what they didn't they already changed it not too long ago because it was Mm -hmm. different yeah. Well, for one, it's um, what's her face is now the narrator when it used to be Jeremy Irons. That just yeah, happened Judy a few Dench. years ago. Judy Dench. Dave. Um, Dench. Yeah, name. But you know, I mean, even you, Annie, you mentioned the, the walking in there. I mean, even that the I was there in two thousand when they were doing like the etch your picture in there. All those the are like weathered. Yeah, all those are weathered away. You can't even see the pictures anymore. Yeah, that's what they're changing. It, it, it just looks bad. Yeah. The legacy stones or whatever. Yeah, it um, just looks bad. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's absolutely there – need that park needs some love. Um, but, again, I think if you – I mean, if you are trying to plan a vacation where you have a four, five, six, seven-year-old, I don't think you should just outright skip Epcot. Um, that's not something that I would do. So you at least got to wait in line for four hours for Frozen. <laughs> Last uh, but not least, I just wanted to uh, go around the room and 
and just say what we love most about this is our Halloween episode, what we love most about Halloween in the parks. Um, Brandon, again, since I don't want to leave you out here, if you want to say uh, what your favorite Halloween thing is about Disney in general, but, but um, I'll go first. And to me, I'm, I'm stealing the biggie. Um, I'm stealing Mickey's not so scary Halloween party. Uh, I absolutely love it. Uh, it's a fantastic time. Um, you know, it's one of those hard ticketed events where you have to pay an extra fee, but you also could use that as your day pass. So mm-hmm. if you're going on a trip, my recommendation in the fall would be um, take one less day on your day pass and buy the Mickey's Not So Scary because you can go into Magic Kingdom about 4 p.m. They're still the regular day crowd, but they kind of get shuffled out. They really do a good job of getting everyone out of there that's not there for the party by 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then you have until midnight. Uh, also, one of the recommendations that I would have is if you want to get a picture with characters that aren't usually out, that's great. Go out and do it immediately, but then spend some time uh, going on rides because they're only going to have five or ten minute waits. Uh, and then the last bit of advice for Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party is to not to go to the early parades or hocus pocus shows uh if you can wait until later in the evening go then uh because then you get the opportunity to uh be able to uh see the parade with the less people there so i'm stealing nikki's not so scary i could do that every single weekend of the year even if it was the middle of july i love that parade uh, that party uh and who knows they started in august this year so maybe some year they will start halloween in july we'll see um, but next I'll go to Anna. What's your favorite part about Disney World and so Halloween? Oh my. Um, I mean, I think Disney World and Halloween is Mickey's not so scary. It's just, a, that's what it is. Um, uh, I don't know. I guess to build off of that, I do like how, um, I think the decorations are the best that they are all year at the park, especially Main Street USA. Um, it's just the best. I love it more than the Christmas decorations because we've been there for Christmas. I just think it's the most fun that you can have um, as far as our seasonal decorations go. And they do a great job of doing um, special treats and just making it really fun. So, And Anna is yeah. one of those people that really loves to spend time on Main Street, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just cool how how neat the decorations are. And really throughout all of the parks, it's, mm-hmm. it's very evident in Magic Kingdom. Some of the other ones uh, don't have too much going on. Well, I think they're the most intricate uh, when you sit there in Main Street USA, especially each one of the um, buildings has a different pumpkin or several different pumpkins across the top, and they're they're fun and they're different, and that's just something special to look at. And I just think it offers the most for decorations. So that's mine as the Halloween decorations. Great, uh, Scott. Well, since you guys mentioned it all, to say Mister Boogity, Oogie <laughs> Boogie. No, Mister Boogity. Yeah. <laughs> Boogity. My God, you people are all young. It was a TV sh- Disney Channel made for TV movie. Was that a Disney Channel show? Because I remember oh, yeah, absolutely. it a long time. It had a it's true Boogity Returns. There was a sequel. Yeah. It had a sequel to it as well. Um, that's no, it, no, that's just, really interesting. Uh, no, it's what, not. <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's your favorite about being in the park then? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know... When we went uh, a few weeks ago, um, we did plan on doing the same thing you just mentioned is just have the ticket um, for that. But obviously, Irma had different plans for us. So we went on one of our days. We had a, a hopper. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they clear things out by 7 o'clock pretty well. 
Um, I had to sit in line for probably three hours to see Moana because Disney has not made Moana available except for the Halloween parties so far. Which that kind of sucks. It, she it really does Hollywood suck. Studios. She should be back there. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I think she, she where she was in Adventureland made perfect sense too. Uh, mm-hmm. But she needs to be there the whole time, so I have to wait during the Halloween party to sit there and do it. But um, I got to ride Space Mountain a lot because no one was there. Yeah. It also helped that because Irma had just blown through the day before we went to Halloween party on Tuesday night, uh, there literally was nobody there. So it was quite nice. Well, that's great. Brandon, anything Disney related that you want to talk about Halloween? When I think of Disney and Halloween, I think of Disney Channel in the early and mid 90s. Um, my favorite scary Disney movie is The Watcher in the Woods. And, ah, <laughs> that stuff will scar you for life. And then Betty Davis is scary in that movie. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I would, yeah. And Hocus Pocus. And then they always did this thing called Disney Halloween treat that was hosted by the magic mirror. And they would show all the scary stuff like night on bald mountain from Fantasia and heffalumps and woozles and all that stuff. So I love that, that special. I actually found it on YouTube last year. Um, oh, awesome. If I find it again, I'll, I'll post it in the comments on our Facebook page, but, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, those were always really fun to watch. And mm-hmm. I just love Disney around Halloween because I don't do the scary horror movies and they, they do, uh, basically Disney is about as scary as I can get, uh, on Halloween. <laughs> Disney and Are You Afraid of the Dark? So, um, I love that kind of, uh, spooks uh, in the night as opposed to the gore and the horror that all you fine folks like out there as well. So uh, we're going to move in to talk about our wonderful film today. But before we do, I wanted to mention a brand new podcast. Hey, folks, I just wanted to take a brief moment and tell you about a brand new podcast that I just came across. And if you were to tell me, hey, Craig, what do you want in an ideal podcast? I would say I love listening to Disney. I love talking about Disney. I love thinking about Disney. What's the other thing? Well, I think the most important part of my life is the fact that I'm a dad. So if you came to me and said there's a brand new podcast called the Disney Dad's podcast i would be all over it and i've listened to the first two episodes that they've released and absolutely fallen in love so i wanted to give these guys a shout out and say congratulations on the new podcast keep up the great work you can find them at disneydadspodcast.com so to jason michael and justin keep up the great work we can't wait to hear more and welcome to the disney podcasting family and now back to our discussion of the steve gutenberg classic the Tower of Terror. Okay, we are back, and thanks again to those guys for uh, bringing together this podcast. Really excited to hear all of their episodes in the future. But let's talk about Probably the best Disney movie about Halloween, right? Other than Hocus Pocus. Uh, I mean, even the Sanderson sisters can't hold a candle <laughs> to Uncle Buzzy. Well, they can't hold a candle because it's the black flame. <laughs> oh, so let's talk about the Tower of Terror. And I brought these guys on for a particular reason, for this particular question, why in the hell 
is this not the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror movie? I guess they don't want to spend the money. What um, What do you guys think right off the bat? Disney doesn't like paying for licenses. <laughs> okay. This is Rod Serling's Serling's estate read the script. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I've heard I've heard some of the groaners uh, that you guys have covered too. They weren't all gold. No, no, no. They're better than this. I'll I'll take the chaser over this any day of the week. (laughs) Oh no, I don't know about that. (laughs) Maybe the fever. The fever, I, at least I can laugh at. The chaser is just cringeworthy. <laughs> but you know, this is why I, I'm very concerned about the Tower of Terror, the you know the ride, because Disney is trying very hard to jettison any licenses that it has to pay for. Bob Iger has said many times, "Why am I paying for stuff when I have my own intellectual properties?" So I, I'm I'm afraid that sooner or later Twilight Zone will not be a part of the Tower of Terror in Florida either. Um, and so I rode the hell out of it while I was there. Nice. Well, for those of you that have not been uh, fortunate enough to see this amazing movie starring Steve Gutenberg and Kirsten Dunst, let me read uh, a brief bit of the synopsis off of the Wikipedia page. I'm not as good as Scott. I don't come up with my own synopses. Um, and I should have had Brandon read this in his Rod Serling voice, but um, decided instead I'll just read it right off the Wikipedia page. Buzzy Crocker. Yes. That's the lead character's name, Buzzy Crocker, played by Steve Gutenberg, is a journalist who was fired from the Los Angeles banner where his girlfriend Jill worked for publishing a news story which turned out to be fake. Ha! Go figure. He now writes for a supermarket tabloid, The National Inquisitor. Buzzy is close friends with his young niece, Anna. An elderly woman played named Abigail Gregory comes to visit Buzzy and explains that on Halloween in 1939, she was witness to the amazing incident at the Hollywood Tower Hotel where five guests, including singer Caroline Crossan, her boyfriend Gilbert London, much-loved child actress Sally Shine, and her nanny Emmeline Partridge and bellhop Dewey Todd mysteriously disappeared when they were in the elevator on their way up to a party at the Tip Top Club. Goes on from there, uh, but that gives you a general sense of where we start this film. Uh, And I just want to go around the table and ask for everyone's first impressions of Tower of Terror. I'm going to start with Scott. Scott's muted. It stinks. (laughs) (laughs) Any elaboration to that, Scott? This is one of those where I I just have to kind of feed off what you guys say because, yeah, it's a 90-minute Disney made-for-TV movie. I, I do appreciate that it incorporated the ride as much as it did, but and I, I thought it was interesting that they actually went back and, from what I can tell, got the same actors who play the the ghost parts in the ride. That was pretty interesting. I'm assuming the girl's different because it was you know 15 years later, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. What? Mm-hmm. This was the same year that the, this opened the ride. Oh, did it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1997. Shows you how much I paid attention to this movie. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Well, I'm gonna go fair watch enough. Cocoon. Much better Gutenberg oh. film. <laughs> or uh, Lavalanchula uh, as well, starring Ralph Garman. So, uh, Brandon, 
Can we talk? Uh, I was. Well, I, I, I've seen the movie, but I feel like I've seen only part of it because, because on YouTube, you can only see a little box. And, and so it doesn't get deleted. The uh, vocal tone is taken down about a half an octave. So oh, their really? I'm sorry. I found that like, and I didn't follow up on it. It was like the best $5 I spent at Target, though, because I know that Target has this movie uh, if you go out and buy it. This is why we need a Disney streaming service so Brandon doesn't have to squint his eyes to watch the movie. (laughs) Well, I did watch it on YouTube on my Blu-ray, so it was bigger than watching it on the laptop, but it was still a little bit of a strain on my eyes to watch, but it was, uh, I, uh, I, I was looking forward to, cause this was one of the, I remember when the wonderful world of Disney came back in the late nineties. And I have fond memories of a lot of this, a lot of those movies, but this is one of those that I just missed somehow. <laughs> and so when I, uh, I thought, oh, it's, you know, it's the Tower of Terror. It, you know, a little bit's about old Hollywood a little bit and then in terms of some of its lore and everything. And, uh, you know, it's it's got some charm and they tried, but <laughs> they just... Uh, it's got some it. charm and they tried. They should have put that on the box. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it just... Disney doesn't have a good track record making movies about their attraction. I feel like the, the Haunted Mansion's not that great of a movie either. So, right. Aside right. from the first Pirates of the Caribbean, those aren't that good either. Oh, oh that's true. We're, uh, we, are, we are getting a Jungle Cruise movie, too, as well, starring Dwayne Johnson, aren't we? And you know like what annoys me about that is they're already saying they're going to change the Jungle Cruise to align with the movie more. So oh, take gosh. that as you will. Because <laughs> yeah. having Jack Sparrow every five seconds on Pirates of the Caribbean was an improvement. Well, you know, it's. I don't think it. Dete- I don't think it takes away from the ride necessarily. Yeah. Not every five seconds, and sometimes if you go to Disneyland, it's actually Donny Johnny Depp there, and not just an animatronic. <laughs> so, uh, if you're that one in a million on um, Pirates of the Caribbean that happened to be there when he's there, Anna, your first impressions of this film? Apparently, I'm the minority, but I really liked this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's filmed like a. Film it's, to me right away it looks like Are You Afraid of the Dark the way it was mm-hmm. filmed in the nineties and I think it's done well enough to where for if you're younger then it gives you a little bit of a scare but it's not bad and it's just something fun to watch for Halloween it's kind of the same reason why I liked Hocus Pocus um, obviously it's not quite as good as Hocus Pocus but I did, I I liked the story I don't know I I like it. I'm with you. I I think it's char. I like Brandon says. I think it's a, I think it's a charming film. Uh, they tried. It, it's cool that it did incorporate so much about the original attraction. Um, a lot of the shots were taken yeah. from around the attraction. Although, like they go in that courtyard area, and I wonder if that's like kind of backstage uh, or how they did that. But this yeah. this is all leading up to. This was really supposed to open the attraction at MGM Studios. They're going to show this movie on Wonderful World of Disney on ABC, and then that's just going to propel everyone to go and watch the Tower of Terror, want to want to ride the Tower of Terror. I don't know exactly if it was overly successful at that. I, I couldn't find any numbers that saw anything. But, you know, we see these now, instead of getting these cheesy made-for-TV movies about attractions, we just get, like, ABC specials about 
about attractions every Christmas and things like that. I would almost rather see some of these, uh, some of the cheese come back in these um, types of made-for-TV movies. Um, you guys mentioned this, but this is the first movie ever uh, based on a Disney attraction. And, of course, after this came Country Bears Jamboree, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Mission to Mars, um, and also Haunted oh. Mansion. And, of course, out of all of that, only Pirates. Time yeah. out on the field. Mission to Mars was not based on Mission Space. Mission Space fed off Mission to Mars because Mission to Mars actually is a film, <laughs> and I like it. So well, no. Mission Space, uh, Mission Space spun out of Mission to Mars. They just basically okay. kept. Well, I'm just saying, Mission, Mission to Mars uh, is listed as a attraction. No, so. no, it came out first. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I like I, that movie, so I'll defend it. <laughs> As I mentioned when we talked about Mary's not Mickey's not so scary, um, I like movies and I like things about Halloween that that are the cheesy parts of Halloween. Anna mentioned it feels like an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. It, it actually turned the director ended up directing a lot of the Are You Afraid of the Darks, DJ McHale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel like it it kind of has a sense of the goosebumps that yeah. was on Fox. Yeah. Uh, in the late nineties yeah. that it also has that going forward as well. And there's a little bit of plot and intrigue in the, the fact that you've got these characters getting together. You don't really know what happened to them. There is a bit of a turn in this movie that you don't necessarily expect. So I give it, they gave it the old college try and I'll watch it every Halloween until, uh, until I die. So I, I do enjoy this movie. Well, and I think if you take it's, into reference when it came out, it was very appropriate for the 90s, the late 90s, with what was popular back then, especially with the age group that they were playing to. I think they did a great job of marketing what they needed to market. Yeah. It's got it's got likable people in it. I mean, Steve Gutenberg, they don't come as nearly as likable. <laughs> Steve Gutenberg is Steve Gutenberg in any movie he's in. But it's it's you want to say that much ballers in this movie though, isn't he? Yeah. And it's he, he tries to come off as cynical, but it just doesn't work sometimes. Oh, but uh Kristen but it's fun it's fun seeing Kristen Dunst post Jumanji pre Spider Man. So it was seeing her in that in between period and she and Gutenberg have some good interaction together. I'm sure that she would call this the medieval times of her life, the, yeah. the lost years. Of her and, I like, and I like seeing Michael McShane because I love him as uh, Professor Keenbean and Richie Rich. So. He's he's hilarious too. I, I like his uh, I like his character. He's a guy that plays the same damn character every movie he's in. Yeah. And then um, Lindsay Ridgeway, who plays Sally Shine. I'm like, I recognize this girl, and it's Morgan from Boy Meets World. I was nice. I was like, I know this girl from somewhere. That is fun. Um, You say Gutenberg is good in everything he's in, or a nice guy in everything he's in. You obviously haven't watched Ballers. Uh, no, I haven't. I was, that he's he's in Ballers season three or whatever season they're on now. He's an asshole, and I like him uh, for it. <laughs> I kind of I also gotten fat and kind of prickly. I was thinking Cocoon and Three Men and a Baby Gutenberg. <laughs> police um, Academy? You're going to leave out Police Academy? Oh, I forgot Police Academy, yeah. Well, everyone did to mention uh, Nia Peoples. That's the only other actress you failed to mention. You failed to mention her because her other major credit is starring alongside Steve Gutenberg in the aforementioned 
La Valanchula. Um, that is about all that she's done. Maybe poor, shows. I was, I was like, poor Nia Peoples doesn't get much to do in this movie. She's just kind of there every other scene to give you some exposition. And then they just bring her along for the ride at the end. I feel like. <laughs> one, of my, one of my complaints, if we're actually going to give a review of this piece of crap, yeah. um, the first part of the film is actually pretty fun. Because you're yeah. going with the, the, the scares and like what's going on in the in the, the 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 hotel and all that, but as soon as the ghost starts, you know, hanging out with him and stuff, all of that kind of goes away. It just becomes a goofy Disney film with ghosts, and so that that just it falls apart for me. So they basically set it up to where the nanny, um, you think, until about halfway through the film. Uh, spoilers. This is spoilers. Like a huge spoiler. Spoilers. <laughs> if you haven't seen Tower of Terror, uh, turn it off, go to Target, <laughs> buy it, <laughs> and then put it in your DVD player and just listen to this as audio commentary over the movie. Um, but spoilers. You think that the nanny is the big bad throughout this and that she's the reason why they all uh, died in this elevator uh, or disappeared or whatever happened to them. But uh, then you find out that she's really just there to protect Sally Shine. And so I, I like that they they put a little bit of intrigue back into the plot. So for me, it seemed very cut and dry. There's even a really awful 1990s special effect where um, the nanny comes out of the wall and like looks around the room and then retreats back into the wall. And I thought, Oh my goodness. Um, where, where was that special effect from? But uh, I liked that they then kind of turned everything on its head and of course, the, going towards the resolution, which we can talk about in a little bit. But, but I, I like, I did enjoy the very first part of this movie, Scott. I think that it is the strongest part of the movie. Um, but I don't necessarily think it all completely falls to, falls apart there. I, I don't mm-hmm. quite agree with that. No, I, yeah, I don't agree either. And it, I think, and I could be wrong about this, but I wonder if they didn't focus on the characters so you would be invested in the ride more and want to see the characters that you know and have their backstory and care about what happened to them on the ride. But no, I, yeah, I think that they did a good job. I like the, the twist at the end. Yeah. Um, twist. My one question I had at the end was, so all, so these poor people had to be at that party for what, 50 years waiting for these other five to get up there to finally <laughs> make their way out of limbo. Well, you know, it's like the party from Hocus Pocus. It's just the Sanderson didn't die, oh, so they, all the adults just kept dancing. Yeah. Or it's like the, um, actually, like I like it to Titanic. Came, yeah. yeah, to Titanic yeah. where, you know, when Rose <laughs> runs away with the guy she met for three days instead of her husband. Um, I was going to say that I do, I do, I did like the character of Abby. I do like, and the and the actress Amesy Strickland who plays her, who was probably in every TV show that ever was. I guess you know, at some point, just but but I I, I like the I like the twist that it wasn't the nanny. It was it was Abby. You know, I could kind of see it coming, but still, she played it well. Yeah. 
Um, I think the first time that I watched this, I honestly, I, I didn't expect there to be any kind of plot twist because I knew it was a made-for-TV movie. So I don't know that I necessarily expected it um, because she does. She's convincing at the beginning, uh, going there and taking all of the National Inquisitors back to, again, his name is Buzzy, um, and talking to <laughs> Buzzy about it in, in like, saying that he's the only one that can help her and all this. And she does seem like a distressed old lady. Uh, so I, I kind of bought into that the first time mm-hmm. that I watched this. And now on subsequent views, you can totally see it coming a mile away that, um, that she is actually, again, spoilers, she is actually the big bad in this. And, um, and she's the one that really <laughs> caused, uh, wanted to cause her sister's death. <laughs> When they were little kids, um, it's kind of, kind of a little scary, uh, from there, from that perspective. But, uh, so Scott, I, I know you said that there's not necessarily, uh, any redemption in the latter part of the film, but, um, do you, what do you think about Abby as a character? I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> what, what, I wasn't impressed. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like you wanted this to be uh, a Twilight Zone. Maybe I kind of did. I mean, at least something like that. I, I I watched this with thinking, okay, it'll it'll probably be terrible, but at least I'll enjoy it. And I I, I think you guys have your Disney rose colored glasses on a little bit, so enjoy the movie. <laughs> well, this is a Disney podcast. Again, I, enjoy I your rose-colored glasses. I, I, I definitely got have those rose-colored glasses. Um, uh, yeah, I just I don't like horror stuff, and I don't like stuff that's scary. So for me, this is the best Halloween type of movie to watch because it's something that has a little bit of Halloween fun to it, and it's not scary. Mm-hmm. That's why I enjoy it. Yeah, you can play this at a party uh, in the background with like kids, and you know you can just get it all to get get them all together and and play this type of a movie. And and I, I do appreciate that out of it. And just to mention, we all have rose colored glasses for things that we like, much like the awful Star Trek show that is on uh, streaming services. You haven't even you. watched it, so shut up. I'm I'm I'm, I'm caught up. What what? They have a bug, a water bug, bear thing, um, flying their ship. Then you're not, then you're not caught up at all. Anyway, uh, Brandon, yeah. talk about uh, anything else that you want to <laughs> talk about. Anything else, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I guess I should go into a little more, but I, um, I do like the. Um, old Hollywood mythology that they try to play up in it. Um, I wish they would have gone, you know, a little for, you know, Sally shine is basically a Shirley temple ripoff, but um, (laughs) it's, uh, it's, it's fun to see those kind of, you know, archetypes being played out. And I did like, I did enjoy the final scene, you know, with all the 40 swing music going on and and everything. And the, and just the, uh, the, the way that they played that into it because old Hollywood is just right for that kind of mythology being used mm-hmm. in those stories. Um, but, but, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm sure if I had seen this in 1997, when it came out, I would have a lot more nostalgia about it, <laughs> but um, it's, uh, but you know, it's, it's fun. It, it was fun. I did have fun watching it. You know, it's, um, it's that, it's that late nineties Disney cheese, but every once in a while you gotta have some cheese 
So. <laughs> and one of the things I'd mentioned too is that MGM Studios, when it first opened, it was open to be a working studio. Um, yeah. And this mm-hmm. is a movie that came out of that studio. Uh, most of it was filmed in Orlando, uh, right on the set, uh, right in the ride. Uh, I believe it was all prior to the ride opening. So it's probably when they had those construction walls around it uh, and, can, and can get some of those shots without people down Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood Studios. Yeah. But, um, but you know, it, I I liked when MGM was a working studio and you could see things like this happen and go, yeah, I've been there. I mean, as a kid, that's kind of a cool, mm-hmm. I still get that feeling when I go to different movie sets or different, his, well, historical places a little bit different, but let's talk about movie sets. We went, um, we hiked in North Carolina on where uh, Last of the Mohicans was filmed. Absolutely loved that. I, I got this cool sense that I was somewhere where Daniel Day Lewis was just like annihilating people, you know. Um, exactly. Like it, it's kind of cool to go to these types of places. And so I think Disney lost something when they took that ability for MGM to be this working studio away from it. Um, and, you know, now they're kind of going the intellectual properties route for Hollywood studios, uh, which at some point it's supposed to change its name. I don't know if it actually will, but Hyperion. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, they had some really awful possible names mm-hmm. on a survey uh, and Hyperion was one of them. Well, and even though you, um, even though I haven't, I, I haven't been to Disney World like you mentioned. I went to Disneyland when I was a kid. It's been a long time, but um, I was, I always thought it was cool that um, Disney carried on the MGM name, especially MGM ceased to be a working studio, like in the in the early '80s. So it kept that name going, and now that it's not there, you know, everyone's just going to think MGM is a big hotel in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, but so it's it's a little sad for me that that name being associated with movie making is kind of not going to be around anymore. Anna, do you have any final thoughts on this film? Not, not really. Any just, favorite scenes to point out? Any characters that we've missed? No, I mean, I think that uh, I don't know. For me, the the ending is I don't know. It's it's kind of a neat lesson learned where they try to make Abigail. Um, see what she's done wrong. Right. She tells her sister she's sorry and that she loves her. And I think that that's a neat moral moral tie at the end. Yeah. Cause she's held this resentment for like, mm-hmm. um, what in this, it's been like 60 years in this film verse. Uh, and it turns out that Sally actually liked her and wanted, you know, and yeah. like Sally wasn't just this, stuck up girl that, that didn't like her sister. Um, so, right. I think it speaks a lot about forgiveness and how you need to be understanding with someone else's side of the story and yeah. see what they're trying to tell you yeah. when you're seeing something else completely. So I, I think the ending had a good moral. Um, yeah. Okay. To wrap this thing up, there's one last story I wanted to hit on, and this was from Friday, October 23rd of 2015. So it is a bit dated, but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it's not still a possibility. Disney is developing a movie based on the popular theme park ride, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, the Accelerated Drop Tower Dark Ride, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Deadline reports that screenwriter John August wrote a treatment for the story, and Disney is now looking to hire a writer to expand that into a feature-length screenplay. August is 
a great writer and has a long history with Disney through many collaborations with Tim Burton. His credits also include Titan AE, Charlie's Angels, Big Fish, Corpse Bride, The Nines, and Frankenweenie. So one of those is good. <laughs> actually, I like Big Fish quite a bit. I, I like Frankenweenie, and I like Titan AE. Um, I haven't Titan seen Titan AE was a good one, but. Um, so I, I I wanted to get your opinion, particularly you Zona Sodes guys, if they were and now this is two years old, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a dead story, but if they were to get the possibility to make this movie into a feature length movie, what would you want out of it? Would you want it at all? I'll go with Scott first. What I would want out of it is something that they can't give me. And that is to tie it in where it belongs with the Twilight Zone. And no, it doesn't mean it needs to have Rod Sterling. We've had, I think the Twilight Zone movie from the 80s was a really good movie. And it had nothing in terms of incorporating with the original side from using some of the original stories. Um, we've had a couple different Twilight Zone series that have come out. So if Disney is going to continue to utilize the name on the ride, which again, as I mentioned to begin with, I don't think they're going to, uh, then use it. We haven't had a good twilight zone, anything since, you know, UPN had the show in the early two thousands. There has been some talks of JJ Abrams trying to make a new twilight zone series anthology, but that story is almost as old as the story you, you, you have here. So, um, I would want to have it tied in with that. Aside from that, the story really doesn't matter because the, the story is pretty light on the ride. You know, they get struck by lightning and they get stuck in another dimension. So you can, you can run with that. I wouldn't recommend doing a journalist from the Inquirer as your main protagonist again. Inquisitor? Uh, the Inquirer. <laughs> but, uh, His name I, is Buzzy. Yeah, I, I would – I would just want them to tie it back into the, the source material. And I think we're, we're long overdue for another Twilight Zone. Um, and this could be a good way to do it. The power of Disney and the power of Twilight Zone brought together. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Okay. Brandon? Yeah, I um, – you know, it'd be, it'd be hard to recreate, you know, the actual Tower of Terror story. You know, I think that they – stretched it out enough in the, in a 90 minute TV movie. I don't know how much you could do in a, in a two hour theatrical movie. So you'd have to, um, you'd have to really give it a little more depth and a little more character development and all of that and have to make it maybe, I don't want to say a little more adult, um, but a little more sophisticated, Mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, but yeah, I would, I would love if they incorporate the Twilight Zone into it somehow, and I don't, you don't have to create a Peter Cushing like fake Rod Serling <laughs> to be in it. Um, and, um, but Maybe they I could have Steve Gutenberg be Rod Serling. <laughs> Just the thought of that. <laughs> but no, I, I it, it would be, it would be nice for it to, I mean, to have. To have a Disney movie with the Serling sensibility would be yeah. would be really really cool and really interesting. So the, the, there are definite possibilities. Uh, they would just have to do it right. Well, and, and you know, we. Oh. I'm, I'm sorry, real no, quick. I just want I just want to say, you mentioned you don't have to have Rod Serling. The Twilight Zone from the 2000s, which again wasn't something that's you know immaculate TV, 
but the presenter was Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. You know? I mean, you can get somebody. Hell, just put Morgan Freeman up there and I'll listen all day. I mean, yeah. you can find somebody. No, I get that. Yeah. Anna, do we need this movie? I mean, I don't. I I think I would love to see something like that. Like Brandon mentioned, that's just a little bit more um, sophisticated and has a little bit more depth to it. I think that that would be great. I, I just don't know that they will because of how like Disneyland has gone to guardians. I don't know that they're going to push this anymore and just kind of have it how it is. I don't know that they're going to try to, that's, I just, I just don't see the need for them to do that right now. Cause they're focusing on toy story land and they're focusing on star Wars and they have all kinds of new things going on. I just don't think they're going to put, put their eggs in that basket. I think they're just going to let it be. Yeah, I mean, they have announced a, a massive slate of movies. They've got Marvel and Star Wars as well, so we probably are not seeing this movie. I, I'd love to see it. any uh, additional Disney movie written well and done on a Disney attraction. I think that that's a cool storyline. I'm one of the three people that liked Tomorrowland, um, and I wish that this story came out actually right after Tomorrowland came out that the summer, the fall after. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if maybe because that was such a flop, they decided to, uh, ax this for the moment. But, mm-hmm. um, I, I really enjoyed that movie. And, and some, some month on beyond the mouse, I promise we will do Tomorrowland. Um, Tomorrowland but, was really good until they went to Tomorrowland. Well, I mean, that's a valid point. As soon as they <laughs> so, got to Tomorrowland, it fell apart. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I am more excited for the stories or for the, the thought of a Guillermo del Toro led, uh, Haunted Mansion movie than I am for any kind of Twilight Zone, Tower of Terror, uh, movie, but we'll have to see what comes of any future Disney Halloween movies. I'm, I just, I'm a, I love them. I, I, I can eat them up and I enjoy uh, everything that they have to give to us. So, Did I hear right? We're getting a Hocus Pocus sequel, but not with the original cast. No, you're not. You're uh, going to reboot. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that for years. Let's well, there, there was a story brought out recently that um, it would it would not be the same. Well, really, the Sanderson sisters are dead, guys. Um, but no, they're uh, not. They were at Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween. I have a video of it. <laughs> <laughs> You're very right. Um, but uh, it basically would be a decom, a Disney Channel original movie, and it would not be the original cast. I just don't think it would do well because the whole reason why Hope is Pocus does well is for our generation. So I don't think it will have. But we're doing it. Yeah, but what do they care? I don't know. I just don't think it will do well. I think that they look at the attendance at that yeah. Halloween party show at Magic Kingdom, and they go, this is not a dead property, and we ought to exploit it. But it's all yeah. Bette Midler and yeah, no, I, all I, those guys. It's, I don't disagree I don't with you, but I just, I, think, I, don't know. I just think that they— When the Descendants can make money, this will make money. Yeah. I mean, the Descendants is like Descendants 3 is now being made. That thing is terrible. I've never seen that the Descendants. Made, I've had to. I have a seven-year-old daughter. It sucks. But <laughs> if that thing can make money, and it has, they're making a third sequel on it or a second sequel on it, this will make money. I guarantee it. Yeah. All right. Um, any final thoughts as we go around the room? Brandon, final thoughts? Uh... <laughs> no, no, it was it, it was it was fun. I had fun watching it. I did. And then, but then after it was 
Then after it was done, I'm like, what did I just watch? (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. Scott? You you mentioned the Haunted Mansion they're trying to redo again, uh, a Tower of Terror movie that's probably not going to happen. The one I want to see happen that I think Tomorrowland killed too was there was talks of John Favreau doing a Magic Kingdom movie, which was supposed to be Night at the Museum, but at the Magic Kingdom. That would that's really the cool. movie I want to see, but I think Tomorrowland killed that one too. Have you guys ever read the Kingdom Keepers series? It's actually pretty awesome. Um, and it's just about a bunch of, uh, it's kind of dated technology now, but basically these hologram, they, they are guided holograms through Magic Kingdom or through the Disney parks. And, um, they're actual, the kids that modeled those holograms, um, are, have to essentially go into the parks at night and fight off, um, Maleficent, uh, and wow. other, um, what do they call them? They call them the overlords, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, the over something. Um, but the kingdom keeper series written by Ridley Scott, uh, it's, he actually did all of the Peter and the star catchers as well. Um, really solid series of books. I, I they're definitely for kids. Um, I take nine years to read them cause I'm so slow, but you could probably knock them out in a, in a couple of days and they're well worth your time. If you like Disney, particularly that first one, um, just the imagery of all the dolls in, uh, it's a small world coming to life and coming after you is pretty terrifying. I'm sure it's better than alien covenant. So Ridley Scott has to have done better than that. Did I say Ridley Scott? I, yeah. I meant Ridley Par- uh, Pearson. My- okay, that sounds a little better than Ridley Scott. I was like, <laughs> has he done it on his off time when he's not destroying the Alien franchise? <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, definitely not Ridley Scott. Um, Ridley Pearson uh, is, is the writer of those books. So, so go and check them out. Uh, and before we go into our plugs, I just want to say that upcoming on Beyond the Mouse, I'm not sure what movie we're doing in November. I'd really still like to get uh, a run Disney, Disney segment on there. Um, if we were to have uh, our guest, our other Scott guest on uh, to talk run Disney, he is big into the Olympics. We've got the Winter Olympics coming up. We've got a couple of Disney movies focusing on the Winter Olympics. I'd like to save the big cool runnings for February or January, um, but uh, who knows what will be going on from there. Um, and then we also will we'll pick up some Disney Christmas movies as well. So we're looking forward to a lot of uh, future Beyond the Mice. And if you want anything else of this show, please uh, let us know uh, what you'd like to hear about, what you want us to talk about. Um, we are currently in the midst of planning a trip to Disneyland, so you'll be hearing all about our studies of Disneyland. It's a brand new foreign park for us, so we'll have to get all the tips from Brandon. Um, but we're excited to do that. Scott, I'm sure it's changed since 1993. <laughs> <laughs> Same park. Yeah. Scott, can you give the plugs for us? Real quick, did you see that run Disney's canceled in California from here on out? No. I saw it like two days ago. Because of all the construction, Run Disney is canceled. And all of the future... Well, you know what's interesting about that is... um Actually, Scott went on maybe one of the last run Disney's there. Um, but what's interesting about Disneyland, because it's such a small park, they have to utilize so much of the general Anaheim area, like running through the ballpark and all that. I can mm-hmm. see that that would be a major issue. Um, run Disney on... Uh, Walt Disney World, it's all contained in the same property, so you don't have to get any additional permits or anything. So 
That's interesting. Sorry, just had to throw that out there. So plugs, you can find us at thefrontremoverreviews.com. You can email us at thefrontremoverreviews at gmail.com. Obviously, Craig just told you about Beyond the Mouse. Uh, You can find Brandon and I on our Zonisode podcast, which comes out weekly. We are just about ready to finish up season one of the Twilight Zone, and by February of 2020 will be completed with the entire series. <laughs> but you can definitely dive in right now. We'll do a season one recap here uh, um, in about a week. Hopefully this drops before then. And uh, then we'll be diving right into season two. And the only other shameless plug I have is um, we are also doing a review series of Star Trek Discovery, which Craig has not caught up with and needs to actually catch up and join us on the show if he wants to talk about it. And we do those every Sunday night live on YouTube, and then they're in the podcast feed Monday morning. I did see Rain Wilson um, as... He was great as Harry Mudd. Um, he, wa- he was pretty good last night. I'll give him that. Uh, but still... I need to come on your podcast and talk all about that show. Then we keep telling you to come on and every weekend. It's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I know. But like, that's one of those things. Sorry. Quick rant. CBS. I can't believe they're dropping a streaming show at seven 30 at night. They can drop that anytime during the day on Sunday. And I could watch it during, uh, during uh, nap time or whatever the case may be. But it just so happens that they have to act like they're a network still, even you're, though they're trying this new media thing. It just makes me mad. Anyway. You like that Simpsons episode where Grandpa's yelling at a cloud, and it says, "Old man yells at cloud." That's right. Well, <laughs> get off my lawn. Joining us, thank you so much for strolling around all of the uh, parks with us. Really enjoyed talking uh, with all these folks about. Tower of Terror and also all the park news that's going on as well. So, for Beyond the Mouse, this has been Craig McFarland. Anna McFarland. Scott McFarland. Brandon Davis. Oh. I said Brandon McFarland. <laughs> I love that I point at the screen, by the way, and I'm, I'm pointing at one of you. I pointed at Scott first. I did it right. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but you wouldn't know that because I'm just. <laughs> I act like that's going to work every single time. Well, anyway, this has been the Front Row Movie Reviews, and we will see you real soon in the front row. Bye.